and welcome to the worst bestsellers where we read about how wolves don't know about snopes.com so you don't have to i'm renata and i'm kate and for this episode we read lone wolf by jody pico joining us to discuss this animal planet fan fiction is extremely amateur wildlife enthusiast malia and megan mother of two under five and trashy fanfic author hello ladies hello malia Hi, this is Malia. <laughs> Hello, Megan. Hi. Thanks for joining us to share your Jody Pico uh, expertise. Thanks for having us. Yes, definitely. Although, uh, speaking of Jody Pico expertise, we all just learned in like the last five minutes that that's how Jody pronounces her name. I had <laughs> assumed it was Picolt. And in fact, I watched a couple YouTube videos and some of them say that, but she, I, she herself says Pico. So we might forget about that during the episode because for me, Picolt has been in my head for so much longer. But anyway, Jody Pico has written a lot of books. Uh, this, yes. this is the first one of hers that I have personally read, although I feel as though I have read My Sister's Keeper because my mom read that recently and recounted the whole thing to me over the phone because there were like so many shocking twists that she was like, and then this happened, and then this happened. And I was like, whoa. But now I know exactly how I feel because that's how I feel about this book. Yeah, when I was selling books, um, one of my coworkers was reading one of them. It might have been My Sister's Keeper. And was like, have you ever read this book? Like, it's insane. And a lot of her books, because they were bestsellers, had really detailed plot summaries in our system. So one day when it was quiet, I went through and just read, like, almost like Wikipedia hopping, but within our system from mm -hmm. one book of hers to the next, reading all the detailed summaries of, like, the crazy family dramatic nonsense that was going on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little bit ashamed to admit exactly how many of her books I've read. I've lost count, but it's probably almost ten. There, there's no shame here. <laughs> so I haven't read that no. many, but a lot. I've read a lot. How many has she written? 20 according to the back of my book wow yeah mine says 19 but i think this is an older edition so she's written one since then <laughs> oh and she has written young adult novels also which i haven't read are they under her name or are they she co-wrote them with her daughter she okay. has an original musical what a, oh, over the moon an original musical for teens is that her rent what? fan fiction <laughs> <laughs> I have to look into or this her, immediately. Or her Twilight Taylor Lautner fanfiction. Ooh. Ooh. She does mention him. She does mention him. It's true. <laughs> so, I don't know. I guess we can just dive into discussing this book. Because, I mean, this book is so bananas. You could freeze it and blend it up and make a dessert to fool your children with. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it is so, <laughs> so bananas. But then they would just be disappointed in you. It's true. Just like uh, just like Luke's children are in him. Yes. So this book, I started reading it, and I was I was started reading it before bed, and I was like, I'll just read like a chapter and then put it down because I'm so tired. And I read over a hundred pages because every chapter ends on a cliffhanger, and I was just immediately sucked in to wanting to know more about this bananas family which consists of Luke, who is the father, and an amateur naturalist who at some point abandoned his family to live with a pack of wolves for two years. 
And it's told in, like, flashbacks and flash-forwards and whatever. So we see some of his time with the wolves. And then after he came back from that, he got kind of famous and had, like, Animal Planet show and a book deal and stuff like that. And um, he, his ex-wife and mother of the two children in this book, her name is Georgie. And they got divorced, and she married their divorce lawyer. And the kids are Edward and... Kara and Edward was is gay and is older than Kara and Edward and Luke had a big falling out when Edward came out so we think and Edward it went so badly that Edward left the country immediately he was 18 and he just left the country and went to Thailand and started teaching English for six years so he's been out of the picture and meanwhile Luke got custody of Kara which is weird because he seems like a terrible parent. I think it was less that he got custody and more that they had a very casual arrangement where Kara made the decision that she wanted to live with her father at this point. Yeah, I guess that's a better way of saying it. Yeah, like it wasn't yeah, like was... a formal court thing. I think they say that they had custody. joint. I think they say somewhere that they had joint custody. Yeah. Yeah. And when Kara was like 14, she made the decision to, or 13 or 14, she made the decision to go live with her father because her mother, who remarried the divorce attorney, had had twins and she felt like the mother was trying to cut her out to make like a new, shiny, better family. Mm-hmm. So Kara and Edward get, no, Kara and Luke get into a car accident and Luke ends up in a coma, Luke, the, the wolf dad, and Kara is injured, but not in a coma. And at the accident site, um, she, she doesn't remember very much about the actual physicality of the accident at first, but she knows that she pulled her father out of the truck and people keep saying to her, like, wow, you saved his life, like, if you hadn't pulled him out, he would have blown up when the truck got on fire, you know, good on you. And she already feels... Um, foreshadowingly distraught that people are saying this to her. Yes. Well, and in particular, she's like, they don't know the real truth about it. Dum, dum, dum. That (laughs) is what just keeps being like dangled in front of you for the rest of the book that she will refer to and not actually tell you. And we know that she was drunk at the party that her dad picked her up from. And so you're, I, I was, like, trying to guess, like, was she driving drunk and the dad wasn't actually driving and just came with the car? Like, what, you know, you're just trying to figure out what this big secret is, like, the whole book. And it's, like, every character has at least one thing like that where in their thoughts they're like, but so-and-so doesn't know the real truth, da-da-da. And then you, so there's so much going on where, like, well, I want to know. I want to know the truth about the wolves. I want to know the truth about your divorce. I want to know the truth about why Edward went to Thailand and everything. Yeah, it's told from multiple point of views. And as we've seen in some books in the past, each point of view has their own different font. Yes. Which is kind of annoying but that's not that's not typical for jody pico because i read another one of hers recently that also featured the abenaki tribe and that one had regular fonts throughout interesting well i will say that at least it was consistent unlike redeeming love where like sometimes there would be mistakes and god would speak with satan's font (laughs) and it like really threw you off when that happens (laughs) 
Um, it's also told, because it's told from different points of view, there's a lot of both actual flashbacks. All of Luke's chapters are actual flashbacks from his point of view, him telling his story at the time it was happening years before. And then within the narratives, there's a lot of the characters remembering things that happened in the past. So it's one of those stories where you can't tell the story in chronological order because it spoils all of the twists. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll do our best to, to cobble it together as we normally do. So it starts with they're in this accident, they're taken to the hospital, they call Kara's mother, Luke's ex-wife, to come see her. But because she's divorced from Luke and Kara is under 18 and also injured, uh, she can't make any healthcare decisions for Luke. Uh, they need to contact an adult who is a living relative who can make those decisions. And the only person is Edward, who, as we said before, had fucked off to Thailand after some argument with his father and hadn't really spoken with anyone except for his mother every once in a while for the past six years. Also, before that... It shows a different car accident when Kara, or maybe it's around this, I don't know. It, chronologically earlier, there was a different car accident that Edward, no, that Luke and Kara got into when they were nursing some wolf puppies, and Kara really loved the weakling wolf puppy, and it was sick, and she begged her dad to take it to the vet, even though that's, like, not nature's way or whatever. And so they went, and then they got, in, and then the wolf died, and then they got into a car accident on the way back. And so for a while, I was wondering if that was somehow related, if that was, like, Kara's secret about this other car accident. Like, was a wolf involved? Like, was the wolf driving? I don't know. But that's not (laughs) it. (laughs) Also, in the sort of uh, early in this book, you get the sort of racial weirdness that goes on with many different groups of people but it really starts out pretty early with the Thai people where they're it's like a weird joke about making fun of their English as Mm -hmm. they are English language learners in Thailand and it really sort of put started like the weird tone the weird racial tone for the whole book at that point I don't know if anybody else picked up on that Yeah, that was uncomfortable, but almost immediately foreshadowed by the discomfort I felt about Luke talking about the indigenous tribes, which he sometimes refers to as the Abenaki, but sometimes he's making, like, sweeping generalizations about Native American tribes, plural. And Mm. he compares them to wolves, but in a good way. Because they're always his friends. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my, my Native American friends. Friends slash Every brothers. Opportunity. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah, brothers. Yeah. I'm going to back up just a little bit. um, Because so, I, I hadn't remembered there being a first car crash. And I just looked at it. And I don't think that it was a car crash. What? I think that it's just poorly written in that it was a thing that she is remembering during the car crash that's happening. What? Oh, God. <laughs> I really thought... Because they made a big thing about how exhausted he was from staying up with all the wolves, and so I thought she was feeling guilty about that. Well, because... no, because they they come home and they bury. It's um, I came home and we buried a, we planted a tree, and that marked where the wolf had died and where we buried her. It's the same type of tree that four years later I see rushing towards the windshield too fast. Hmm. Yeah, I don't see the first accident either. Okay. Well, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so they have this one accident and they call Edward and he 
is racist in Thailand and then comes back from Thailand <laughs> to the hospital. Um, and he looks so much like his father that for a while Kara is hallucinating that the younger version of her father is here at the hospital to talk to her. And he's just like really not sure what to do because he hasn't seen anyone in a long time. And the doctors uh, quickly tell him that there was a lot of trauma during the accident and the father has a whole bunch of like blood clots on his brain or whatever medical jargon that essentially means that he's in a coma and on, I guess comas are measured on a scale from three to 15, which seems like a very strange choice. And that if it's like six to three, there's a very small chance of him ever waking up again. Yeah. And they make it very clear that they don't expect him to ever regain consciousness. And as more time passes, it becomes much less likely. There's a lot of medical jargon in this book that is then summarized in layman speak. And it really feels like, especially after the first time, you could probably just skip the jargon. But it, it feels like one of a lot of things in this book feel like, well, I had I had this information lying around, so I'll put it in my book. Like I had this emailed chain letter that was forwarded to me, so that'll be a chapter <laughs> in my book also. <laughs> I've got this she, I've got this sweet wolf clip art. Put that in here. <laughs> she does say um, in the afterward, in my version of the book, that she came up with part of the idea for this. She was on a flight before she was famous next to a neurosurgeon, and they were talking, and she, at the end she was like, this is all really interesting. I'm going to file it away and put it in a book one day. So, like, literally I think it was a case of him being like, here's some interesting facts about comas, and her being like, I'm going to just put them all in this book for really no reason. Well, and I think a lot of a lot of her books have medical dramas in them, right? Yes. Well, they're they're definitely all some kind of hot button issue. Um, so there's school shootings, there's suicide, there's uh, having a second child for spare parts for your first child, mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as that's a hot button issue, and things like that. And yeah, sometimes medical. The Holocaust, oh, Amish boy. people, as much as Amish people are, <laughs> and yeah, so she's she always there's always something there, and then there's always like a trial. Oh, the organ donation for like prisoners. I've read a lot of these. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's so- usually like some sort of supernatural like tidbit too, because there's like because um, in this one we have later on we have the pet psychic but in a lot of them there's you know like ghosts and uh you know fortune tellers and all kinds of crazy stuff like that and that's where the epilogue to this book happens oh my gosh we'll get in the supernatural space (laughs) (laughs) this all sounds awesome makes me want to go read all of her books So we have we have Edward at the hospital finding out that his father probably isn't gonna get better. Um Kara's really beat up and the police keep coming to talk to her about the accident. And while they're there one time, they can't dodge. She can't dodge them anymore. And it comes out that she had a high blood alcohol content during the accident. And it's sort of implied that the cops think that she was driving. And she's like, no, no, like I was at a party and I was drinking and I was afraid because I didn't expect there to be so much drinking. So I called my dad and he came to pick me up and that's what happened. And you can tell that there's more to it, but, you know, again, like we were saying, she doesn't say anything. It's her deep, dark secret. 
so while she's all drugged up, she's got an infection from the surgery she had to have and she's miserable. She and Edward have a conversation that Edward basically comes away with it and is like, all right, I'm going to pull the plug on my dad's life support because my sister said I can do whatever I want. Yeah, she said, like, I can't deal with this anymore, meaning, like, the conversation. But Edward is like, she means, like, the situation of dad in a coma. Done. <laughs> so he, like, signs all the paperwork because the dad was an organ donor so he's like, obviously, like, he wanted his organs to live on after his death and him not to be in a vegetative vegetative state. And then Kara finds out that this is what he's going to do. And she freaks out. And he pulls the plug from the ventilator. Yes, like, just straight out of the wall. Just pulls it out of the wall. And so she brings him up on charges of attempted murder. Yes. And she gets this, like, flashy TV lawyer who'd been in the news for um, defending, or I don't know what his role in it was. There was a a woman who was pregnant and in a coma, and her family, some of them wanted to pull the plug, and some of them wanted her to, like, have the baby while in a coma, basically. And so he represented the, the having a baby in a coma side. And so he was kind of in TV, and she was like, oh, if that guy is is for that then he's definitely going to help me with my dad also i love the way that she like just kind of goes into his office like a boss yeah (laughs) yeah she fakes her way in by saying that she is his niece and then she just like makes her case about how like my dad thinks all life is important like he saved all these wolves and so he would think that his own life is important and i read some wikipedia articles about people who came out of comas and it can happen and you've got to help me out Oh, and she lies, and she lies, because he's like, um, you have to prove that for it to be attempted murder, you have to prove there is malice, and not, it sounds like maybe your brother was just trying to do your father's wishes, are you sure that's not the case? And she's like, oh, uh, yeah, because when he pulled the plug, he yelled, die, you bastard, which he did not do. <laughs> but the lawyer's like, okay, great, let's go to court. Yeah, so they go to court, and it comes out over the course of it, I'm trying to remember that... There was a nurse or somebody. There was, like, a witness. And she was the sister of the lawyer. Yeah, yeah. So after Joe, the the um, husband of Georgie, Kara's stepdad, uh, finds out that this doesn't look like it seems, um, because Georgie asks her to help Edward because she doesn't believe that he would murder his father... And he talks to this nurse and she's like, yeah, like I told my brother, the big famous lawyer who's representing Luke's daughter in this case, uh, he didn't shout that. He just pulled the plug out of desperation and that was it. So they get the charges against Edward dismissed. But obviously this has caused a lot of family drama between Mm -hmm. everyone. Um, Kara's like 17 and three quarters as she reminds people constantly. Just like, yeah, like a very mature person would do. Yeah. Also, Kara has been mad at Edward because she blames him for her parents' divorce. And she even, she's like, I'm 17 and I know that's not exactly it, but it still just, like, feels that way to me, so I still fucking hate Edward. Yeah. So she's already got something against him, and then... She doesn't like anybody. Yeah. Except for... Except maybe her dad. Except for Luke and the wolves. Yes. Yes. And Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) (laughs) So Edward just like swans back in and is suddenly making decisions for their dad when he hasn't seen him in six years. And she feels very strongly that she's the one who knows him best. She should be making the decisions. And what does it matter if 
she's not going to be 18 for three months. Like, her mind's not going to change in three months. Her will's not going to change in three months. They should just let her do this. And then that kind of becomes the crux of the rest of the novel. Yeah, because because then while Edward Edward is briefly in jail um, and Kara is still not 18, so they bring in a court-appointed guardian to take over, which, P.S., why didn't they do that in the first place instead of making Edward come home because he didn't really want to? But whatever. Uh, so they so then they have to go to court over who should be the ultimate guardian, if it should be Kara or if it should be Edward or if it should be the court lady because these two kids can't get their shit together. And throughout the whole process, like all this stuff comes out about like things in their past, the the falling apart of Georgie and Luke's marriage, like everyone's complicated familial relationships to each other. And slowly, all of the different secrets start to come out. Yeah, this is like the juiciest court tr- transcript ever. Because every single well, because argument... Edward can't keep his mouth shut. Edward and Kara <laughs> both, though, they keep like blurting out shit of like... Uh, like, I know I shouldn't say this, but this! And then so many secrets come out that way. And so much of it does not seem like it should have any like actual bearing on the legal matter at hand. And then even Joe does it, the lawyer, because he's like, well, Kara, isn't it true that, you know, you claim you care about your dad, but isn't it true that wouldn't he even be in a coma if you hadn't gone to a party? (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) I don't think you can say that in court. Or like, (laughs) what? (laughs) So, so let's see, what are, in, in order, I believe the secrets are number one, that, um, Georgie and everyone had always believed that uh, Edward fucked off because he came out to Luke and Luke reacted angrily and so he felt like he couldn't live his life so he ran away from home. And before you say what it actually is, I just want to say this is built up so much. It's built up so much because Georgie's like, oh, it's, it's so out of character. Like, Luke was okay with it because there were gay wolves, so I don't know why he'd feel <laughs> that way about his son. That's literally in here. Um, and then, and Edward is so, and Kara's like, well, I know Dad, you know, had a fight, but it couldn't have been that important because Dad wouldn't care. And it's, like, so built up. And we were talking back and forth as we were reading this about what we thought the secret was going to be. And it honestly, the way it is built up, I honestly thought that maybe like Luke wanted Edward to fuck a wolf or something like that. Like it (laughs) seems like it's built up to be something so shocking. Yeah, I think we pretty unanimously thought that the secret involved wolf fucking of some kind. I (laughs) thought it was going to be that Luke fucked a wolf. I kind of went back and forth. I, I, I didn't know. I thought, was there incest involved? Is there Ooh. wolves and, involved? I, I just, <laughs> I didn't know. And I I didn't really think that it was that Edward was a vampire, but I kind of hoped that it was. <laughs> and then it was going to be this vampire versus actual wolf scenario. But it's not that either. All of these are, by the way, so much better than the actual one. Yeah, the actual one is so boring. I don't even want to say it. Is that he walks in on his dad fucking an intern who works for him. A college and, student. Yes, a college student. And it's way worse, apparently. He's devastated and feels like he can't he can't keep it a secret because it'll come out eventually. So the only solution at, at this point in time, there's another part of this secret that we don't know yet, but the only solution to keep from blurting this out and ruining his entire family is to run away to Thailand. 
Which, by the way, having seen how frequently Edward blurts out secrets in court, I kind of think maybe he was right. (laughs) (laughs) The next part of the secret that comes out is that not only did he see him having an affair with this college intern, because, like, Luke was so obsessed with the wolves, he didn't know how to pay bills, and I guess Georgie didn't either. Um, So Edward handled all the finances and the, like running of the household and in paying the bills found a receipt for Luke taking the same intern to get an abortion because Luke had promised that it was, this was the first time it had never happened before. Like it would never happen again. It was a lapse in judgment. So obviously, you know, he took this girl to get an abortion. So it had happened at least once before as well. And that was really the real breaking point that made him run away to Thailand forever to keep from blurting this secret out to his family. And how that comes out is infuriating, because (laughs) the whole thing, like, Kara is making this argument of, like, obviously he, he, oh, by the way, so Edward is like, well, I used to run the household before Kara did, so I had all the bills and stuff, and he had this talk with me before he went to go live with the wolves, and he told me, if anything happens, I don't want to be kept like this, I want to be let go, it's nature's way, blah, 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 and he signed this not legally binding document. God, what is it with the books we read in not legally binding documents? Here's another <laughs> it one. It sounded like it was, like, on a napkin, was yeah. about the level. <laughs> yeah, and Edward was 15 at the time, so it wasn't, like, real, uh, he was a minor, but the dad, you know, dad wrote out, like, if anything happens, I want Edward to make all my legal decisions, it's cool, signed me, Luke, and then signed Edward, the 15-year-old child. And so Edward (laughs) found that in the desk and, like, brought it to court. Well, you know that Luke's first choice was to have the wolves decide, but he couldn't do that. (laughs) Yeah, the alpha wolf. (laughs) But he could not, like, to put the ink on their paws to have them sign the document. (laughs) It would just alter their sense of smell too much. So... I do think it's important to bring up that they do literally bring a wolf to the hospital. Oh my at god! One point, oh my god! Though. I forgot. <laughs> oh my god! I forgot all about that. There's so much <laughs> happening in this book that we could completely forget about Edward pretending to be blind and pretending <laughs> that his seeing eye dog was a wolf, so that he a could three, a three legged. <laughs> A three-legged wolf, so that I don't know. Maybe that's ableist. I feel like three-legged dogs could be a fine seeing eye dog. I don't know. Anyway, he brings this wolf in, sneaks into the ICU so that it can, like, cuddle up with Luke while he's in the coma. Because Kara is sure that the wolf will be able to wake her dad up somehow through wolf talk. (laughs) But it doesn't work. So, so that's... Where oh, wait, okay, I so have to go back. I have to, I have to finish what I was saying because I'm so mad about it. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> Edward is, Kara is building this case, right, that even though Edward had had this talk and this sketchy document or whatever, she does, he doesn't really know how important life was to Luke because Luke fought to, like, save the lives of all the wolves and, like, the life of every creature was so important to him. And so since all lives were so important to him, then obviously, of course, his own life would be important and he would want to be kept on life support as long as he needed. And Edward is like, if that's true, then why would he pay for an abortion? And it's just like, oh, like, this is a gross argument. Like, these are not the same issue. And I I don't care for this. Yeah, I kind of got into soap opera territory there. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's and it, it's hard to be on like anyone's side in this book because Luke is gross mm-hmm. and Kara is is really like sullen and immature even at 17 and 3 quarters mm-hmm. and Edward is also about as gross as his dad. And it just like it just well, I guess we'll talk about what makes sense and what doesn't at the end. Mm-hmm. But so that's the abortion secret comes out and the court reporter or the the legal guardian makes her finding where she believes after reading uh, Luke's autobiography and watching his Animal Planet show that he would want to side with Kara. And the judge goes to visit Luke's body in ICU and then comes to the conclusion that Kara, uh, Edward should have the legal guardianship over his dad because... He he sat next to the body, the judge this is, and he could tell that, that Luke was gone, that his soul was gone. So Edward should be in charge to kill him. Also, it's, uh, and they kept saying, like, to kill him. And I, I get that dramatic Kara would think that, but removing somebody from life support isn't the same as murder. No. We just need to, like, cap that out there. And also yes. abortion is not the same as murder. Also true. And also, like, a wolf eating another animal is not the same as murder. None of these things are murder. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of telling, though, because Kara keeps saying, you know, kill my father. But, I mean, when we finally get to the end, we kind of realize that it's just her guilt and and stuff. Because when she pulled him out of the car, she dropped his head on the pavement. Yes, yes, that is the last secret that, that she gives, is that she tells after he's pulled off life support, or maybe right before he's pulled off life support, sure. um, she takes Edward, she and Edward go to the wolf sanctuary, and she tells him that, A, um, she hadn't had one beer and then called her father because she was scared. He had tracked her to the party because she had lied about going to it and pulled her out against her will. B, she had had a lot of grain alcohol and was super drunk. C, they had a huge fight in the car right before the accident. And the last thing she said to him was, I hate you. And then D, when she went to pull him out of the car to save him, he was still semi-conscious but then she dropped him and his head hit the pavement and she thinks that that's what made him brain damaged. Mm-hmm. Also, Edward's last words to his father alive were also, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I, you know what? Luke seems kind of gross. I feel like that's kind of <laughs> like, I feel like that's maybe like what he had coming to him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's an overview of the whole book. There's more weird shit that we're going to talk about, like the pet psychic. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) I know, what about the epilogue, though? Oh Oh my god, the epilogue, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) The epilogue is that his organs are donated as per his wishes, and the kid who got one of his kidneys, was it? Yeah. It was definitely a kidney, and the kid's name is Barney. Yep, yep. Kid Barney, who got one of his kidneys, also apparently inherited his wolf sense. Yep. Um, and in living his life to the fullest, after getting a new kidney, he's orienteering in the woods and sees a wolf and feels drawn to it. Like, it's his purpose to follow the wolf and follow it into his new life where he's supposed to go deeper into the woods. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, all the scenes from Luke's point of view also are just so weird and gross. Like, when Luke was a kid, 
he was betrayed because his his grandparents had raised him, but he had thought that they were actually his parents because his sister, I mean, his mom had been a drug addict and been in jail or whatever. So she like gave Luke up to be raised by the grandparents. And then he found out and he's like, I can't trust any humans. I can only trust animals ever again. And he, it's so weird. And the way he talks about wolves and he's always making these metaphors for like, oh, well, like, an alpha wolf will do this, and it's just, like, how a person will do this. But, like, people are wrong when they think that alpha wolves are the strongest wolves because alpha wolves are the smartest ones. And just, like, so much weird shit about wolves and just drawing all these weird-ass parallels to everything. And it's, like, I can't even tell if we're supposed to be sympathetic to Luke or, like, think that he's gross because he's gross. And I, I think I we're supposed to find him admirable. I, like I, also, I also think we're supposed to find him super sexy uh-huh. because the scene where he <laughs> meets Georgie, um, she's interviewing him about his first like foray into staying with wolves. And he's demonstrating different kinds of howls because he, you know, can like speak wolf and stuff. And he... <laughs> he demonstrates some kind of howl for her and she's like, what one was that? And and it says something about how intensely he looks at her and is like, are you the one I'm looking for? And, <laughs> and I think that's supposed to be seductive. It's so weird. It's so oh my weird. God. And then after he comes back from his like living in the woods for two years, wolf adventure, like in a chapter from Georgie's point of view, she's talking about how like they can't even go to the grocery store without women like throwing themselves at him and like, like asking, literally presenting him with melons. God. <laughs> that actually didn't seem as far fetched to me because um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Tim Ferriss, but he wrote like the Four Hour Body or whatever. And there's a chapter where he like ate nothing but steak for a month, and he had like women throwing themselves at him. And I don't know if he was making that up or what, but I mean, if Luke was just eating raw meat in the woods for two years, those pheromones were probably pretty overwhelming. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a really insane level of detail about, like, the structure of the wolf pack and all the names for the different kinds of wolves that starts to remind me of, like, herbs in Outlander. Uh-huh. And yes. there's this, a lengthy section about, like, the different ranks in the pack and what kind of meat they eat. And it's, like, broken down. Like, this one eats 25% movement meat and 75% non-movement meat. And it's just, like, can I get an infographic or something? This is really detailed. I know, and there are illustrations and clip art and shit in this book. They could have just dropped a pie chart in. That would have been... Really, a pie chart would have helped. (laughs) Um, Yeah, also, it's weird because he talks about how sensitive the wolves' sense of smell are and how, like, you can't fool a wolf. But then he fools wolves because he got sick from eating nothing but raw meat. So he cooks meat and carries it around with him and sneaks it in... So that while he he's, like, eating out of the carcass, but he's eating his own cooked meat, and they never notice. And it just seems like that they would notice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't under Like, he says that he tracks um, Kara to the party, but he doesn't have a wolf's nose. So I don't know how he could track her. Like, she presumably got into a car and drove away. Like, how would he track her? 
Right. This book almost posits, like, we'll get to this when we play the rock, paper, snick, but this is really positing that Luke kind of is Wolverine, but not, <laughs> like, not the parts that I like about Wolverine. <laughs> Just, like, weird extra scraps of Wolverine are, like, part of Luke's personality. <laughs> but without any kind of, I was gonna say reasonable explanation, like, Wolverine, like, none of the X-Men are, like, reasonably explained, I guess, but, like... I don't know. He has, like, superpowers legit from living with a pack of wolves. And it, it's so weird. <laughs> let's let's go back again to the pet psychic, because we didn't actually oh, talk about her. Yeah, please. <laughs> so when um, they're going to, to court over who gets to be Luke's legal guardian, the lawyer who um, Kara had lied to is like, here's the name of a lawyer. I'm not going to represent you because you're a shit show. Here's the name of a lawyer who I used to work with who I think... Uh, will be helpful for you. And she's like half part-time lawyer, part-time pet psychic who lives out on a llama farm. And I really thought when they introduced her that she was going to like put the wolves on the stand or something. I thought so too. (laughs) I was so disappointed. It was a missed opportunity for sure. So then she's just a wolf, like, she's just a pet psychic. Like, it's no, there's no point. It's not a plot point or, like, something to further anything. It's just this zany background detail about this woman that she can talk to dead pets. And her name is Zirconia. Yes. Oh, also, okay, speaking of Zirconia, speaking of names, speaking of Jody Pico's love of uh, urban legends. Okay, the court-appointed guardian, her name is Helen Bed. And she's, like, very resentful of her punny name. And, uh, but she feels like her co-worker can understand her because her co-worker's name is Ladasha, which is spelled L-A-Dash-A, which I'm sure you guys have all seen, like, an urban legend posted about, like, oh, you know, people have crazy names these days and, like, I'm a doctor and I had a patient named Ladasha and she was mad I couldn't pronounce it or like my kid's teacher had this student or like whatever. Uh, Snopes has said this is uh, not no one is named that. And even if they were, I don't really get why people are so mad about it, which is always the tone of the urban legend posts about it. But anyway, Ladasha spelled L-A-A is a character in this book who has like one line. Like she, they spend more time describing the name Ladasha than Ladasha has to do in the book. And anyway, apparently neither names. her nor Helen have ever heard of legally changing your name once you're an adult. Right. Oh, yeah. And because Helen is mad also because her mother's name was Crystal Chandrelier. And at, at first, the way it's set up and also obviously my reading comprehension is poor. But at first, I thought that Helen had been named Crystal Chandrelier. And that's why she was mad. Because at, at first, the way it's set up, we don't know that Helen's last name is Bed. So we just know she's mad about her name, and so I thought it was because she had been named Crystal Chandelier and then changed it to Helen. But no, her given name is Helen Bed, and she's mad about that. But you could change that. Plus, there's like four or five pages dedicated to this, to like her giving all her whole backstory and her name and all this shit. And it has no further anything to do with the plot or anything. Not important it's at like, all. Jody Pico heard this funny, raunchy joke about someone named Helen Bed, so she decided to write it into her book. But in order to do it, she needed to write six pages of setup. Mm-hmm. Exactly that. Yeah, she collects she collects her like email forwards into a folder <laughs> to all collect them into her next novel. Exactly. 
Oh, so the the pet psychic's name is Zirconia. She's a good lawyer and a good pet psychic, but it doesn't matter. It's just like, here's another wacky person. But I, again, I enjoyed this book. I enjoyed that every page is like a new, like, shocking, like, what? And I feel like especially if you were a person reading this who didn't know about Snopes.com, I think you would probably enjoy it even more. If you're like, <laughs> oh my god, like, Ladasha? What a crazy name. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning yeah, that I- book. The whole thing about being able to unplug somebody from life support with mm-hmm. a single plug pulled out of a wall is a thing that shows up on Snopes because people say like, oh, the hapless hospital janitor like was plugging in the floor waxer and like killed 10 people on this hallway. And, um, and so it doesn't ha- I'm not a medical professional and I don't work in a medical setting, but from what I've been able to read on the internet like they don't work that way they have fail safes and multiple things and you can't just pull a plug yeah uh there there is so also a snopes.com <laughs> about the accidental unplugging of life support yes yeah i mean especially because even if you think about it for two seconds like blackouts happen overloaded uh, circuits happen like th- mm. yeah they're not just plugged into like normal wall <sighs> oh gosh what else well, I mean, I guess it sets up, like, the court case of, like, now Edward's not a fit guardian. But it, it didn't really have any effect. Like, he just did it, and it was shocking. But it didn't have any effect, because then they just plugged it straight back in. And in the end, yeah. it doesn't matter anyway, because he becomes the the official legal guardian. And yeah. they set up the procedure, and then it's over. And he dies, yeah. yeah I, didn't, I didn't particularly like this one very much, which I, I can totally understand why one would, and there have certainly been books like this that I have liked that we've read, but I mostly just hated everyone so much mm-hmm. <laughs> that I wanted it to be over. The only character I really liked was the stepdad, Joe. I was going to say, yeah, like earlier when you were saying He was you the did... only one I felt bad for because uh-huh. he kept being worried that Georgie was going to go back to Luke because apparently he's just sexy. Yeah. And it's... Um... No, he's terrible in every other way. And Joe is Asian. His last name is Ng. And he has commercials where he's a lawyer and he says the NG stands for not guilty, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> but I think he was like the least racist portrayed person of color or concept in this book, maybe. Yeah. He, like, I think that's bonds. true. When he first marries or is going to marry Georgie or, or in the lead up, when she, he first starts dating her, like he tries to bond with Kara by like being like let's talk about high school musical I bought you this nail polish like oh, yeah you know let's talk about it. let's listen to new Miley Cyrus CD and I did genuinely laugh as stereotypical and awful as this joke was when Kara just turns to her mother and it's like mom I think your boyfriend's gay <laughs> and I that got a laugh from me I I am ashamed to admit <laughs> but he tries really hard to like bond with her and then when it becomes clear he's going to ask Georgie to marry him, like, he's like, okay, I have to stop trying to bond with her on her level. Like, I got to do it on mine. And he starts cooking Cambodian food for her on the regular. And it seems like they do have, like, this really great relationship that builds out of that where he confides, she confides in him and she cares about him, which makes the whole thing where she abruptly decides her mother doesn't love her anymore when the twins are born even kind of weirder, but whatever, she's a teenager. Yeah, it's even weirder. And then it's even weirder, or slash worse, that when Joe is representing Edward as a lawyer, I don't know. I mean, I just really feel like in this situation, you would, like, recuse yourself, right? 
Yeah, that seems like a conflict of interest. Instead of, like, raising the... Because he's the one who then, in court, is like, but Kara, if you really wanted your dad to live, why were you drunk at a party? Which, again, like I said before, it doesn't seem like it would be a legal argument. And then be like, that is shitty. Like, you're her That's funny, because they're in that... In her book, 19 Minutes, she actually does have someone that recuses themselves from a case because they were too close. Yeah. And that was an earlier book, so it's something that she's obviously thought about. Right. And it's like, I, you know, I get it that maybe Edward couldn't afford a different lawyer or whatever, but, but you once, think... it, once it became clear it was this, couldn't he, like, call in a bro or something? Exactly. You would think that Joe would, like, have lawyer friends, especially because isn't he a divorce attorney? Uh, yeah, I also yeah. thought that was weird. Yeah, it just, like, the whole the whole setup for that, and then, like... I, I, I think can, they I can... did hand wave it a little bit because, like, it's a small town and he just does whatever. Because, like, if he if his commercials are not guilty, like, that's not what divorce lawyers yeah, that's, that's true. do. Yeah, it's just, like, the whole thing seems really, I mean, obviously very contrived. But uh-huh. anyway, he was still the character that I was most sympathetic with. And get out of there, man. Just get out of there. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I was really sad that the end is that Edward decides he's going to carry on in his dad's name and stay with these wolves at the wolf sanctuary. Like, Edward, go back to Thailand. You don't even like animals. Like, what are you doing? Like, I really uh, hope that, like, one chapter beyond the end of the book, he realizes, like, oh, you know what? This was my grief process. And I wanted to spend a little time with these wolves. And, like, now I'm going to go to college and, like, get my actual teaching certificate or, like, some other thing. Especially because he has this whole revelation that, like, he always thought his father hated him because he was, like, the exact opposite of him and didn't care about the things he hated or that his father cared about. But, like, really, his father would have loved him for being him if he just, like, embraced focused on the things he loved instead of the things that he didn't love. And so, like, for him to have that revelation and then turn around and be like, but I'm going to carry on in my dad's footsteps doing things that I hated because grief I guess yeah and like realizing that his father loved the wolves because to wolves family was the most important thing something something family I don't know well even if he had just been like you know uh, Kara obviously loves these wolves and loves this life so I'll just stick around to make sure that she's okay and then I'll go and do whatever I want yeah but it really seemed like the tone of the last chapter was like, oh, this is my life now. And I, yeah. I hope for Edward that it is not. Whew. And especially since he says over and over how much he hates that town that they live in. Yeah. Yeah, which is obviously a very small town because, you know, anytime you bump into somebody, it's like the sister of a lawyer, of a judge, of somebody <laughs> who you're going to have a scuffle with later in the book. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, have we unveiled all the secrets of Lone Wolf at this point? I believe I so. Think so. I think so. All I right. Let's so. let's move on to our dramatic readings then. And our first one is going to be a a Luke flashback told in italics font. And I will be Luke, and Kate will be Luke's dad slash grandpa. My adopted brothers in the Abenaki tribe believe that their lives are inextricably tied to those of wolves. 
Years ago, when I first went to Canada to study the way Native American naturalists track the wild wolves along the St. Lawrence Corridor, I learned that they see the wolf as a teacher, and the way he hunts, raises his children, and defends his family. In the past, it was not unheard of for Abenaki shamans to slip into the body of a wolf, and vice versa. The French call the eastern Abenaki in Maine and New Hampshire the Natio Luporium, the wolf nation. The Abenaki also believe that there are some people who live between the animal world and the human world, never fully belonging to either one. Joseph Obomsawan, the elder I lived with there, says that those who turn to animals do so because humans have let them down. That would fit for me, I suppose. I grew up with parents who were so much older than my friend's parents that I would never think of inviting a friend home from school. I would purposely forget to tell my parents about open houses or basketball games because I was always embarrassed to find kids staring openly at my dad's white hair, my mother's soft wrinkles. Since I didn't have a thriving social network as a kid, I spent a great deal of time alone in the woods. My father had taught me the name of every indigenous tree, what was poisonous, what was edible. He took me hunting for ducks when the moon was still high in the sky and our breath turned silver in front of us as we waited. It was there I learned to be so still that the deer would come into the clearing to feed, even if I were sitting on its edge. And it was there that I started to be able to tell the deer apart, to know which ones traveled together and which ones returned the next year with their offspring. I cannot remember a time I didn't feel connected to animals, from watching a fox play with her kits, to tracking a porcupine, to letting the circus animals out of captivity. But the most amazing animal encounter I have ever had came when I was 12 years old, just moments before the most disappointing human interaction of my life. I was in the woods behind her home when I saw a female moose lying beneath the ferns with a newborn calf. I knew the cow. I'd seen her once or twice. I backed away. My dad had taught me never to get near a new mother and its young. But to my surprise, the moose stood up and nudged her calf forward until it settled, skin and bones, in my lap. I sat there for an hour with the calf until the most majestic moose I'd ever seen entered the clearing. His rack was colossal, and he stood like a statue until the cow moose got to her feet, too, and the calf. Then the three of them disappeared silently into the woods behind me. Amazed, I ran back home to tell my parents what had happened, certain they wouldn't believe me, and found them sitting in the kitchen at the table with a woman I didn't recognize. But when she turned around, I could see myself written all over her features. Luke, this is Kiara, your real mother. He was not my dad, but my grandfather. The woman I'd called mom my whole life was my grandmother. My biological mother was their child who, at 17, had been thrown in jail for selling heroin with her then-boyfriend. She found out two months later that she was pregnant. When she gave birth to me at the local hospital, she'd been shackled to the bed. I mean, that's, that's rough, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but the moose was there for him. It's true. All right. Um, and then our next dramatic reading uh, will be in the hospital of Kara and Edward watching some Wheel of Fortune, having some family drama. And Kara will be read by Amelia, and Megan will be Edward. That's when I lose it. Who is my brother to tell me about choices? My brother, who gave up on this family six years ago, 
he has no idea what it's like to hear your mother crying at night through the walls, to have a strange woman come up during your dad's daily wolf talk at Redmond's and slip you a piece of paper with her phone number on it. He has no idea what it's like to attend your own mother's second wedding and then come home to find your father drinking himself under the table, asking what the ceremony was like. He has no idea how it feels to be responsible for buying groceries so the family doesn't starve, for forging signatures on report cards and making excuses when your father forgets a teacher conference. He has no idea what it's like to visit his mother and see her with the twins and feel obsolete. He has no idea. The reason I've made the choices I have is because I wanted to save my family just as much as Edward was hell-bent on destroying it. Because when you get down to it, the only person you can trust is the one you'd lay down your own life for. And I'm going to do that for my father now, no matter what Edward thinks. I cannot look at him, so I stare over his shoulder. The contestant on Wheel of Fortune loses her turn. I know you're hurting. This time, you don't have to go through it alone. It. Losing someone you care about. He's wrong, though. Even with him standing three feet in front of me, I have never felt so isolated. So I do what any wolf would if cornered. You're right, because I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure Dad gets better. If you want to be taken seriously, then act like an adult. You heard the doctors. He's not coming back, Kara. I stare at him. You did? He tries to argue, but I pick up the remote control and turn on the sound on the television. There is a ringing as a contestant gets $1,200 for choosing a W. I push the button so that the applause drowns out Edward's voice. I am behaving like a two-year-old, but maybe that's okay because, by definition, toddlers need their parents. I stare at the Wheel of Fortune until Edward gives up and leaves the room. Under my breath, I solve the puzzle. Blood is thicker than water. The next contestant guesses a P. The buzzer sounds. People can be so stupid sometimes. Uh, I feel like that one really encapsulates so many things. There's like wolf metaphor, the sort of petty bickering. <laughs> so many of the things. Kara's a really... toddler. Kara's a toddler. <laughs> Luke being things gross are... and attractive. Yes! <laughs> it's all there. <laughs> things outside the narrative, like being perfectly attuned to what's happening. <laughs> such as the wheel of fortune puzzle oh my gosh yeah really good really good you guys and our last dramatic reading is very dramatic indeed uh, we've got a lot of players in here we're in the courtroom towards the end of the the hearing about who's going to be the medical guardian and for this uh kate will be the judge kara will be played by megan malia will be both of the lawyers, which is Zirconia, who is, as you'll recall, the pet psychic slash Kara's lawyer. Joe is Edward's lawyer slash stepdad. And I will be Edward. Can you describe that moment for the court? I don't want to, but in that second, I'm back in the hospital, hearing the hospital lawyer say that Edward told them I'd given consent. I'm running down the staircase in my bare feet to my father's room in the ICU. It's crowded a party to which I haven't been invited. He's a liar, I say, and my voice throbs from a place so deep inside me that it feels primeval, foreign. There is a moment of relief when the lawyer calls off the procedure, and I start to sob. It's a delayed reaction, the one you feel when you realize that you've escaped death narrowly. The last time I'd felt it was after a truck had crashed into the tree, before I... before. 
It was like Edward didn't even hear me, I murmur. He shoved a nurse out of the way and reached down and pulled the plug of the ventilator out of the wall. The judge looks at me, encouraging me to continue. Someone plugged the machine back in. An orderly held on to Edward until security came and took him away. Kara, how is your father after this unfortunate turn of events? I shake my head. Luckily, there hasn't been a change in his condition. Without oxygen, he could have wound up brain dead. Now, you had no idea that your brother had made this unilateral decision? No, he never asked me for my input. Is that what you would have wanted to happen? No, I say. I know if we give my dad some more time, his condition will improve. Kara, you've heard Dr. St. Clair say it's highly improbable that your father will make a recovery, given the severity of his injuries. I also heard him say that he couldn't be 100% sure it wouldn't happen, I reply. I'm holding out for that tiny percentage, because no, nobody else is. Do you know your father's opinion about how he'd want to be treated in this sort of medical situation? I face Edward because I want to say to him all the things he never gave me a chance to say before he pulled that plug. My father always says that, with wolves, if your family makes it through the day, with all the hardships of weather and starvation and predators and survives the night, well, that's something to celebrate. I've watched him stay up all night giving a wolf pup espalac from a bottle. I've seen him warm a shivering newborn underneath his own shirt. I've driven with him in a blizzard to a vet to try to save a pup who can't breathe right. Even though, in the wild, any of those wolves would just die as part of natural selection, my father couldn't be that careless. He'd tell me over and over that the one gift you can't throw away is a life. Then why did he pay for his girlfriend's abortion? My head snaps around at the sound of Edward's voice. He's standing now, red-faced, choking on his own words. You take care of the bills now. But back then, I did. And that's how I know. Joe tugs on Edward's arm. Shut up. See, it wasn't just a one-time thing with another woman, even though that's what he told me. It was months, and that baby was his... Order! The judge yells. He smacks his gavel. I've gone dead inside before Edward even speaks again, as Joe is calling for a recess and dragging him out of the courtroom. He told you all kinds of things that were lies. Edward says to me, just to me. You think you know him, Kara, but really, you never knew him at all. And then Edward drops the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> this one does also have the thing where it refers to her secret about, like, how it felt yes. before the, tr the truck had crashed, before I, literal dash to not finish that sentence and reveal her secret yeah even though it's from her point of view and there's like no reason why she wouldn't just think that it is her own thought yeah except for to build up more twists that will be kind of disappointing later i kind of thought that um she was gonna say that her father had told her you know like i wish i had stayed with the wolves or i like them better than you or i wish you'd never been born i thought that's what was gonna happen yeah, it's interesting. This book starts off with such a bananas premise, and then it's like, oh, but wait, it's even more bananas. There's all these even more secrets that you don't even know about. And so it sets this really high bar of like, whoa, there's stuff in here that's even more crazy than a man leaving his family to live alone with wolves for two years. And like, there's really not. Like, really, that is the most bananas thing, but it keeps acting like, but wait, there's more twists. And then it's all kind of like, oh, okay. 
Again. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but now that you say that, like, yeah, that's really true. That it starts off trying to make you believe this, like, super crazy, ridiculous thing, and then the rest of it is just courtroom drama. Yeah, it's like, you'll never believe that this man who lived alone in the woods for two years with a pack of wolves, you'll never believe that he cheated on his wife. Well, yeah, I would believe that. Well, you'll never believe <laughs> that he paid for her to have an abortion. No, that's still that's still very plausible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the least plausible thing was what you told me up front about him going to live with wolves and sneaking cooked meat into carcasses (laughs) and tracking his teenage daughter across town. Yes. You'll never believe that his drunk teenager accidentally dropped him while trying to get him out of a burning car. (laughs) (laughs) I would. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, so that's this book, and now let's move on to uh, a few rounds of Would You Rather. Uh, I'll ask, would you rather live with a wolf pack, the way Luke did, or live alone in a sadness cave, the way Wolverine often does? Uh, Straight up, sadness cave. I normally don't pick that solution, because (laughs) being alone makes me a little batty, like... Once Becca went away for a week and my car was out of commission and I was trapped in my house and I basically lost my mind. (laughs) But I can't eat raw meat. I wouldn't do real well living in the woods off the land. I don't think I could make wolves believe that I'm one of them. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd have to go with Sadness Cave. At least then maybe my Sadness Cave could get Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Wi-Fi. Definitely also Sadness Cave because... Well, for one, I'm a vegetarian, and for two, I'm, like, real slow, so, like, I would definitely end up really low on the wolf pack, and I'd have to eat, like, the intestine contents if I read the infographic correctly, (laughs) and that really does not sound like a lifestyle that is, uh, I'm well suited to, so definitely Sadness Cave. My question is, does a Sadness Cave come with food? Well, because otherwise I might live with the wolf pack so they can bring me food because they feel bad for me. I mean, like, when Wolverine's in his sadness cave, he goes into town once in a while mostly to buy more alcohol. So <laughs> I think you're I think you're allowed to, like, occasionally leave for supplies following the Wolverine lifestyle guide. Well, if there's alcohol in the sadness cave, then I'll definitely choose that instead. Yeah. Which yeah, because you definitely you can't, can't have <laughs> alcohol with the wolves. They can smell it. Right. They, they, can... they judge you. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to choose the Sadness Cave as well, obviously. Um, and I have one more note about the living with the wolf pack that's not addressed, which is, like, I've, I've taken, like, a 40-hour backpacking class about leave-no-trace principles, and Luke is leaving so much trace. Like, he is not following the rules. Like, you are supposed to... Like, he always talks about how he urinates in the water source so he can't be followed by predators, but you are actually supposed to do that at least 100 feet away from the water source so that you don't mm. contaminate the water source. And you're also supposed to bury your shit like at least six inches deep. And he never really talks about what he does with his shit, but I feel like it's something gross and wolfy. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're a lady, you're also supposed to bury your period blood six inches deep, which is like really kind of fun and witchy to do. But uh, <laughs> if you're like, if you've got all these wolves around you, that's going to be a fucking problem. And I don't want to deal with that. So cave, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, would you rather uh, be a pet psychic or have your own animal planet show? 
You know, now that I've asked that, I realize the obvious solution is if you are a pet psychic, you could have an Animal Planet show. <laughs> but when we when we wrote it, we went more like um, Luke's show, which is um, kind of like Steve Irwin, but for wolves or whatever. Like, you're not psychic. You just tell people about animals in that scenario. This is a rough one. And I think, although I would want to be a pet psychic... I would have to say Animal Planet Show because I'm allergic to so many types of animals that if I had people bringing their animals to my house all the time so that I could be psychic with them or even like their dead animals things that I'm sure is covered in their dead animals fur, it would not be very good for my health. Whereas if I did an Animal Planet Show, I could stick to animals I was not allergic to. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like the pet psychic, I think she could only talk to dead pets. So I think she was more just, like, channeling them. Zirconia was. Yeah. Still, I feel like it would probably... I would not get to choose what kind of dander people would bring into my house. Mm. I would 100% be a pet psychic. I think that would be pretty fun, even if I was actually pretty bad at it. (laughs) I would also want to do that, because I think being a huckster would be fun. And, And I would... If I didn't like someone, I would be like, actually, your pet wanted to murder you the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Even if I was truly psychic and that's not what the pet really wanted, I might still do that anyway for fun. It'd be less likely that people would be angry with you on the internet. That's true. I would want an Animal Planet show for sure. Um, I definitely think that Dorte and I should have a reality show. I'm kind of mad that we don't already. So I I'll take this opportunity. Also, I think it would be kind of sad to only be able to talk to dead pets. Like if I if the ability were that I was like a telepath, but I could read the minds of living animals, I might be into that. But I don't. I think it would be sad. And I want a TV show. <laughs> so <laughs> cool. Okay, last up. Would you rather marry your divorce attorney or find a new partner on ChristianMingle.com? Well, I've always heard that the best advice about picking a divorce attorney is to pick, like, the meanest, most ruthless one so that that person isn't against you. Mm. And so that's probably not somebody – so that's what I would do if I were getting divorced. And so I don't think I would want to end up marrying the super mean, ruthless person and instead um, patronize uh, the lovely sponsor, ChristianMingle.com, and find a wholesome, kind person. Excellent. Yeah, I have similar views. Uh, in addition to, you know, I would probably want to choose like a real tough as nails person to be my divorce attorney, whereas that is not necessarily the type of person I'd want to spend my life with. Um, I feel like probably like there's a lot of transference sort of shit that happens with divorce attorneys. Oh, where you're like, <laughs> this person is saving me from my shitty marriage and I'm developing feelings kind of thing. Um, which I would, I would want to avoid really anyone who gets entangled in that on the reg. And plus Christian Mingle are such wonderful, caring, devout sponsors to us that I would never betray them like that. Of course. So I'm going to go a different way and I'm going to say that at least if I, if the divorce attorney is a shark, then I know what I'm getting myself into. And then people online usually misrepresent themselves. So I'll go with the devil I know rather than the devil I know. (laughs) My my true answer to this is I would rather marry a pet psychic 
but <laughs> that's outside the boundaries of this scenario. So I will use ChristianMingle.com to find someone who God has blessed with pet psychic abilities. I'm sure I can filter <laughs> for that. And we'll be very happy together. All right. And now we'll move on to our reader's advisory where we'll suggest some things to read instead of or in addition to Lone Wolf. And I think um, we'll start by having Megan and Malia maybe talk us through some of Jodi Pico's greatest hits, which this maybe was not one of her best. Yeah, I think um, you if if reading something with a really bananas plot with a lot of uh, twists right at the end sounds up your alley, you can find ones that have less deplorable characters and less problematic racist undertones and overtones in some of her other books. Well, you can kind of, like, um, go between, like, ones that are about medical issues, because, like, um, uh, My Sister's Keeper is probably the most famous because they made that movie, but Handle with Care also is about brittle bone disease. I can't think of any other ones right off that are about um, medical situations. Uh, I guess one about autism, which I don't think is kind of a medical situation, and yeah. also the organ donation that was Change of Heart. I really liked that one because th- there was a prisoner that thought he was Jesus, and that was super cool. Nice. So that was my favorite one of hers that I've read so far. And it a lot of the – I think pretty much all of them are, like, multiple viewpoints, big family dramas, or at least, like, you know, there's, like, a lawyer and then, like, a family, and there's, you know – it's pretty formulaic. Definitely formulaic. And uh, Lone Wolf is actually the first book of hers that I've read in print. So the wolf clip art and the different fonts were a fun surprise. But uh, if you do enjoy audiobooks, they're always they always have the number of narrators that there are, the numbers of points of view. So it's uh, easy to keep track of what's going on, and they're usually pretty long. So if you have like a long car trip and you want some bananas entertainment, I could I could endorse that. I think the one that what was the one um, that was more recent with the the Holocaust um, storyteller? That one was really amazing, and it was not like any of her other books. I mean, there was like a twist, and there was family drama, but I felt like it was um, next level for her. Like it was really, really good. It seemed less pulp fiction to me, and more like literature. Hmm. The the I felt a little bit differently about that one because it had like fictional. Holocaust. Yeah, that's victims. true. It had the vampire and and it had vampires. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely Jody Pico being like, "Tell me more." Seem popular these days. Got to <laughs> shove them in there somewhere. How <laughs> Holocaust? That's the ticket. I, wait, it was and... pretty much literally like pre-Holocaust vampires. Yeah, <laughs> like Polish. And, I need more. I'm one... sorry. I need more about this right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was kind of because this one has like all the Luke chapters are basically excerpts from his autobiography. Mm-hmm. And so the the vampire chapters in that book are also like a fictional story that one of the characters is writing. OK, so it's not actually positing that vampires like the Jewish people were vampires or it, <laughs> no, it is no, or no. <laughs> not even close. OK, <laughs> but what was weird to me about it was that it had these, you know, fictional Holocaust victims who that it went into really, really gory detail about what happened to them, Ooh. but none of it was true. So it felt really exploitative. 
A little bit, yeah. But I still listen to the whole thing. And it also has, is it a baker in, like, Vermont? Yes. Is that where? Yes. Yeah. If you want to hear uh, the equivalent of herbs and wolves, but <laughs> breads, if that sounds more oh, appealing. It kind of does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for that. And uh, if people want more specific Jody Reader's Advisory, we'll, we'll point them toward you on Twitter. And I've got a few things. Um Less in the vein of, like, shocking twists in family drama. Like, my suggestions are more based on animals and interest in that. And although this one, actually, my first one is both, really, because it's We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves by Karen Joy Fowler. And it's about a family where the father was a, maybe both parents, they were uh, scientists, and they raised a chimp with their daughter, with their human daughter, as a long-term experiment, and it's about just like the family fallout from that, and it's really you know kind of kind of a shock. I mean, there were similar experiences with that, but it's still kind of a shocking premise, and it's really well handled. I think I I enjoyed that book. Um, less good is the comic Savage Wolverine, which is of course Kate's favorite X Men comic because it's only Wolverine and none of the other X Men really, <laughs> and, and she loves it, and uh, it's. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. It's it's kind of hit or miss because it's sort of an anthology. It's just, like, random shit that maybe Wolverine was doing at some point in the past. Like, the premise is like, oh, because he's so old because he has an age. So maybe here's a World War One Wolverine story and, like, here's this and here's, like, whatever. And so this is in the collected volume three. There's a particular story arc that posits that Wolverine can talk to elephants because of his mutant powers. <laughs> And so sometimes he goes to Africa and hangs out with elephants, but then there's poachers and Wolverine cries about it and then fights the poachers and it's amazing. <laughs> so I would I would recommend really like if you like Wolverine, like Kate and I do, I would recommend the Savage Wolverine <laughs> comic in general. But if you just want that elephant shit, that is in Savage Wolverine Volume 3, Colin Wrath. By Richard Isanove and Phil Jimenez. And then um, one more thing that I will recommend is specifically a moth story by Alan Rabinowitz, um, which is called Man and Beast. And then he's also written like an adult book and a children's book expanding on the story. The adult book is called Jaguar, One Man's Struggle to Establish the World's First Jaguar Preserve. And he, you know, he's this conservationist who established the world's first jaguar preserve but the moth story is just about how when he was a kid he had a stutter and he couldn't you know he was so shy he hated talking to people but he didn't have a stutter when he talked to animals and so it's about how he would go to the zoo and like talk to the jaguar and other animals and like i'm almost crying just thinking about this story so if you've got just like 15 minutes to listen to a moth story it's super good and then if you've got a little bit longer you could read the book also um by alan rabinowitz um, I'll just highlight a couple of mine. Um, if you are into the whole animal conservation sort of thing, um, Hoot by Carl Hyacin. It's one of his books for middle grade readers, despite the fact that when I Googled it, basically <laughs> everything said it was for young adults, which is incorrect, um, <laughs> which is about uh, a boy um, who's having some trouble socially in school and the discovery that he makes um, that a essentially IHOP franchise is going to be building 
on land inhabited by an endangered species and kind of his quest to bring this to light and save the, um, it's, I think, uh, kind of, yeah, it's obviously a kind of owl because it's called Hoot. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I read it. But it's very funny and it's cool and I liked that one. And going more towards the family tragedy side of things, Walk Two Moons by Sharon Creech is about a young girl and her struggle with her feelings towards her family and I'm trying not to give away the ending if you've not read this and the acceptance of tragedy and dealing with grief and that whole sort of thing uh, while also telling funny stories about her neighborhood. So that's two. They'll have a couple more up on the website as well. Which is of course worstbestsellers.com. Yes. Uh, Oh, my last thing that I'll recommend also is just uh, the Wolverine solo movies, mainly for their excellent use of sadness caves. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have... was gonna, I was gonna suggest Dances with Wolves, but it's been so long since I've seen it that I don't even know how much wolves are in it. But I'm pretty sure there's like Native Americans and wolves. So yeah, I, I think there's a gentle cultural appropriation of wolves uh, or of Native Americans and combining them with wolves. So. And, and scruffy men. So, I mean, if that's your thing, then I, I think it's it hits all of it. I've got a, a couple books. One is uh, called The Fly Trap by, pardon my Swedish, Frederick Schoberg. And it's about, it's a memoir of this guy who's an entomologist in Sweden. And he lives on this little island and he studies hoverflies and he's super obsessed with cataloging all the hoverflies. And I feel like he's the exact opposite of Luke that he has no like toxic masculinity or I don't know, desire to like be a hoverfly. It's really (laughs) (laughs) warm. And, and he has a lot of really insightful things to say about the value of closely observing nature, which I think is kind of one of Luke's values, but then he takes it in a weird direction. Mm-hmm. And this guy takes it in a delightful Scandinavian direction. So I really wholeheartedly endorse that book, The Fly Trap. And I always endorse because it's pretty much my favorite book of all time, Moby Dick by Herman Melville, if you want to read about pointless obsession that destroys uh, many lives and families. <laughs> it's always a good one to revisit. Um, and I think as far as things to watch... I would definitely recommend the Werner Herzog documentary Grizzly Man wholeheartedly. Um, I would hardly recommend pretty much the entire oeuvre of uh, Werner Herzog, but Grizzly Man in particular is also a Luke-like figure um, who thinks he can really commune with grizzly bears. And I don't know, does everybody know what happens? Is it a spoiler? <laughs> I, I feel like Grizzly Man is past spoilers at this point. I think it's past spoilers, right? He totally gets, like, killed by bears. And it's really uh, a fascinating portrait of somebody sort of obsessed in that similar way. And I think if you like that formula of, like, hot-button issue plus family drama plus courtroom drama, Law & Order SVU really sits in the same place in my brain as Jodie Pico books and... Um, <laughs> It's always a, always a good time if you have 40 minutes to kill instead of, you know, like four hours or however long these books take to read. Fantastic. All right. Thank you guys for sharing those. Again, those will all be up at worstbestsellers.com if you want to find out more about them. And now we'll move on to our candy pairings where we will suggest a candy to go along with this book. 
just like a restaurant might recommend a fine wine to go along with your raw entrails. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My candy pairing would be trail mix made by hand from only things you can scavenge from the wild and full of lots of plain whole grains that are easy to digest. Mine is, is not technically a candy, but it's movie theater popcorn just because... I have, like, when I start eating movie theater popcorn, it's really hard for me to stop eating it, even though I know it's going to make me feel gross and terrible and, like, hurt my mouth from being too salty. And, like, that's how I felt about this book, because I just, I couldn't stop reading it, even though it was gross. I thought you were, you were going for that, you know, that gif with uh, Michael Jackson eating the popcorn. It's kind of just like <laughs> oh. watching everything unfold. <laughs> yeah, no, also kind of that, definitely. <laughs> just like, oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so um, just like... Um... Wolves are deadly, and uh, unplugging someone from life support is deadly. I've heard that Pop Rocks and Soda are also deadly, so that was the my pick for this one. Excellent. Mine is uh, those assorted chocolates with the fillings inside that you don't know what it is until after you've bitten in it because it's really stressful and you don't know what's coming. <laughs> I don't find eating chocolates that stressful, but I see where you you're going. You taste one and it's disgusting yeah. and, or it's going to be amazing and you just don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right. Now we'll play our favorite game, The Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And uh, you guys will choose which makes the book better, or you can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. And uh, Megan and Malia, you both have your own vote. You do not have to come to consensus, and we will not appoint a legal guardian if you can't decide. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be a counselor at Edwards School, um, because he loves giving back to kids, obviously, so this was a natural career path for him. And after Edward's shocking revelation about his father's affairs slash abortion slash etc., The Rock notices that he's acting strangely, but before he can run away to Thailand without really any thought towards his future, etc., um, The Rock calls Edward and kind of gently confronts him about his change in behavior and, you know, just inquiring as to if he's okay. And Edward explains everything that he's discovered about his family. And while the rock understands the pressure he's feeling to keep his family together, he also tells Edward that he's just a kid and his father shouldn't put this sort of pressure on him. And it's not his fault and it's not his job to do this. Um, So the rock calls a family meeting together and the whole family comes and they confront these truths and kind of dial down to the fact that Luke really fucked up the family by running away with wolves for two years and tears are shed and everyone's kind of angry but also sad and relieved and better life decisions are made and they all take a step towards healing and no one runs away to Thailand or continues to eat raw meat with wolves. All right. Well, if Wolverine were in this book, he would be hanging out in a sadness cave in Canada as he's prone to doing. And he would cross paths with Luke and his wolf pack um, during during the time when Luke was living with the wolf pack when, um, you know, the, Edward was 15, or when, yeah, when Edward was 15. Um, so at first, Wolverine would think that Luke needs help because he's this kind of, like, scrawny human out in the middle of nowhere with these wolves, and he's, he's not that stoked, honestly, about being interrupted by another person while he's sulking in a sadness cave, but he kind of tries to help. 
But instead, Luke starts giving Wolverine advice on how to better fit in in nature, like how you can't drink alcohol because wolves can smell it and they hate that shit. And at this point, Wolverine's pretty done. He just, like, rolls his eyes because obviously Wolverine knows what he is about. But Luke uh, starts talking some more because he is actually a little bit lonely for human companionship. And they start talking about, like, the children that they left behind, and they bond a little bit, and Luke finally ends up actually taking some of Wolverine's whiskey, because he's getting a little emo about it. And then he goes back to his pack, and the wolves smell it and eat him. Wolverine discovers this the next day, doesn't think it's that big of a loss, to be honest, but he does pick up his ID off of his corpse and send it back home so the family knows he's dead. Everybody gets family grief counseling, but they eventually move on with their lives and uh, don't have so many weird secrets tying them down. I'm going to go with Wolverine. Yeah, I mean, I think if there's any hope of this story also turning into a Werner Herzog documentary, (laughs) it's with Wolverine. So that's what I'm going to have to go with. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think... I think probably the family would be a little bit happier with Kate's scenario overall, (laughs) but I think it's more like viscerally satisfying if Luke gets eaten by wolves. And I think that's what we're all responding to. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as you're reading this book, it's like, really, is this how this guy's going to go out in this like quiet way in the hospital? Like, no, he really needs to get eaten by wolves. That was my persistent thought while reading this book. (laughs) And so the Wolverine makes that true. Excellent. Well, thanks for playing Rock, Paper, Snicked, the game where no one loses. <laughs> and now we'll move on to the moral of the story. Mine is leave no trace. I would say my moral of the story is secret secrets are no fun. Secret secrets hurt someone. Mm, true. My moral of the story is men are dogs and the worst. <laughs> Very true. And my moral of the story is um, just feel free to use Snopes really liberally as you're writing a book. I think we've all learned some really good things from this book. Really important (laughs) morals. (laughs) All right. uh, Now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will get to chime in with his opinions about the book. Yeah, Duarte, you are so smart, as always, and I do 100% agree with you that this book is garbage compared to Black Hills. Um, I don't think it's, by Nora Roberts, I don't think it's only because the, there were cougars in Black Hills and this one just had stupid wolves, but I think that is really a strong case to be made for Black Hills over Lone Wolf. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, correlation does not equal causation, but I also would agree that Lone Wolf was... Uh, Lone Wolf was garbage compared to Black Hills. Black Hills was a much better read. But yeah, maybe your reasoning there is a little bit shaky. And I appreciate Duarte's efforts at learning to speak wolf and do the different kinds of howls that we learned <laughs> in this book. So um, I'm still learning to speak wolf. So you have to be patient with me, Duarte. <laughs> I also agree that they should have had a cat. That would probably would have fixed everything. Yeah. The cat could hang out um, with the wolves and and help them divide up the meat better, probably. I think a cat would be good at that. (laughs) For sure. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Duarte. We'll we'll let you get back to your 18 hours of napping now. (laughs) And do any humans have any closing thoughts about this book? I think we covered it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was disappointed in it, but I also pretty much enjoyed the act of reading it 
That is how. That is exactly how I feel about every Jodi Picoult experience. <laughs> <I've had. laughs> it's not just a book; it's an experience. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Um, all right. Well, Megan and Malia, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you for You're having welcome. us. Thanks for having us. Uh, you can find us as a podcast online at worstbestsellers.com. You can follow us on Twitter where we're at worst bestseller with no S because Carrot stole that S for Wheel of Fortune. We have not gotten <laughs> it back. Uh, we are on Facebook where we're worst bestsellers spelled normally. We are on goodreads.com where we are also worst bestsellers spelled normally. You can find us to download us on our website and on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. And if you subscribe to us on either any of those places, if you could please rate and review us, we would really appreciate it. It sort of bumps us up in the listings so that more people can find us. And unfortunately, if you don't rate and review us, we might have to pull the plug on your life support. <laughs> I won't actually do anything, but, you know, it'll it'll be a strong statement towards how we feel about you. <laughs> All right, and you can find me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can find me personally on Twitter at 14across. You can find me on Twitter at, at Megs, M-E-A-G-S. You can find me, Malia, on Twitter at Rhymes with Maria. All right, we will be back at you in two weeks. Uh, we're starting a kind of fun project over the summer, which we're calling our Flashback Summer. And we're going back and reading some worst bestsellers from roughly our childhood era and we're kicking that off with Animorphs number one by K.A. Applegate. How exciting. So until then uh, don't die. Bye. 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 Did the audio drop or is everyone thinking about candy?